Thank you guys, y'all. Y'all, y'all, I'm in Texas. I can say y'all. Oh, look, they have Kleenex for me because I blubbered like a baby the first service. I've been known to make grown men cry. In fact, I have so many men, they're like, got on your blog, big mistake. Big mistake. And then I turned into a four-year-old blubbering like a baby. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a good thing because you know what? Jesus wept. So isn't it strange in our culture? We have this thing where it, you're really tough if you can't cry. You're really tough if you can just stay strong at your parents' funeral and don't let it show. And the funny thing is, and people are so afraid of emotion getting involved whenever we encounter God, right? Isn't that weird? They're like, don't make it about emotion. It needs to be logical. Let's use our brains. Church, our heads are so freaking fat. And our hearts are so tiny because we're so afraid to feel anything before God. I would like to remind you of something. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, what? Peace and joy. Do you realize that two-thirds of the kingdom are emotional states? Isn't it so funny that we're so afraid of encountering God with our emotions? My whole life flipped around when I learned that this heart that he gave me was created to actually have an encounter and an experience with a person. See, guys, okay, I, I did not come to give you a message or let's just go home. I mean, we have, 52 messages changed the world. Church, don't you think we'd look a little different, Right? I have no agenda to give you a message where you walk away thinking I'm cool. If I do not bring you an actual encounter with the living word, his name is Jesus, and he comes inside and he supercharges you with nuclear power. Put your hand on your heart for a second. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, do you realize it's alive inside of you? Big deal big deal. It's time for us to learn to encounter this king. Because let me tell you something. You have had encounters with a world that has dictated your belief systems. You've had encounters with pain that have dictated how you filter life. It is time. If you have been like me and you have been highly traumatized by life, haha. <laughs> Yeah, the, the fire gets really hot. If you have been traumatized by life, you better learn, friend, to have a greater encounter with love than you have with all the things that made you fear. You better learn to have an experience with the healer that's greater than all of the pain that smashed up your heart. See, I am all about experiences and encounters. I am all about going, okay, I'm not going to read the Bible today. What's the point of that? I am going to ingest the word. I'm going to see it. When you tell me that the spirit of God is going in me and it's exploding power in its fullness, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to let that word go in and divide soul and spirit, bone from marrow. Friends, the word of God goes in. It's living and active. It's explosive to heal disease, to cut off your depression, to heal your broken heart. The word is alive and his name is Jesus infused with the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Can you tell I'm a little excited about this? I love him. See, for years I was a musician. I was a professional musician. Watch out what you tell Jesus you'll never do. I was like, I will never be in the ministry. Good Lord, no. No. 
my family's in the ministry, you gotta work with wounded people. No way. I will work with music. That's way easier. And I just did the music thing for so long and I did, I toured in the, the secular arena with the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> Ladies, you can touch my hand, it's touch Nick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> with the Jonas Brothers, with Jordan Sparks. I toured in the Christian world with Michael W. Smith. He was my main gig for about 12 years. And the saddest thing that I have seen, friend, is that there are just as many Christians who are managing their pain as there are non-Christians. There are just as many Christians who are going, you know what, this is just the way life has to be. I'm just, I've always been addicted and depressed. It's been in my family line. It's just the way that it has to be. You know, I've always struggled with fear and anxiety. It's just the way it has to be. I've declared the scripture for my life. It hasn't worked, so I'm just going to have to bunker down, get my ticket to heaven, and just hold on until I die. There are so many Christians who are just trying to survive life until we get to go to the glory of glories. Friend, heaven is a place, and we're supposed to be establishing it on earth right now, living in that realm so I love providing resources for the wounded because I was highly wounded okay I needed a savior man I'm the poster child that Jesus works you name it I have tried it because what we do when pain comes in look at your heart in fact put your arms like out like this for just a second and I want you to look down the truest form of who you are is a big, fat love bucket created to be filled with love. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a big, fat love bucket. The fatter, the better. See, we were created for love and for intimacy, but what happens? We get smashed by wrecking balls of pain, right? And it comes in and it smashes up our love buckets. And this love bucket that was created to be filled with intimacy and oneness with the Trinity, it's instead filled with pain. And the thing that I've seen about Christians more than anything is that most of us have no idea how to get our pain back reconnected to a healer to where we don't have to be identified by our pain anymore. Christians, we are living identified with what has happened to us as opposed to what he has done. And what do we do with that pain? We numb it with substances. Been there, done that. My book's totally about that. Everything. I mean, you know, I did the drugs and alcohol, the sex, all of the stuff going, okay, numb the pain, numb the pain. But then I got saved, and then you got to put all those away, and then I turned to the Christian drug called food. Oh, put away all those bad things, but let's just have a potluck where we drown our sorrows in that bucket of chicken. You know what I'm talking about. We medicate, we numb our pain. What else do we do? We ignore it. I'm in denial about it. No, I've got to keep functioning for you, God. No, 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 let's not deal with that. I'm just going to serve you and hopefully you'll zap all my issues into wholeness. Not going to happen. We ignore it, we numb it, or we try to perform our way out of it. Friend, let me tell you, your pain is not your enemy. See, pain isn't the bad thing. If I step on a nail and it goes through my foot, is the pain that signals there's a problem a bad thing? No. It makes me look down and go, hey, stop. You're impaled by a nail, okay? The problem isn't the pain. The problem is the nail. Some of you living life to avoid more pain. 
I got to live my life. I'm so smashed up and I don't know how to get my pain to a healer that I'm in denial and I'm going over here and I'm numbing and I'm living. I, I can't have a rel another relationship because relationships have hurt me. And we live and we're dictated by our pain that can't get to a healer more than we're dictated by the healer who came to live inside of your pain and set you free. Your pain is not your enemy, but I promise you, your unhealed pain is your greatest enemy because it is determining the course of your life. I love providing resources to get pain into the hands of a healer because here's the deal. If you walk out of this room, you will not remember my whole message. You won't. You won't just go, oh, I'm just going to totally apply that to my life. You will not. You need resources, Christians. It drives me nuts. They're like, I can't afford your book. I'm like, you know what? You afforded Starbucks all month, and you peed it out three, three hours later. <laughs> Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How much do you want your inheritance? If you want it like I did, and I'm glad I was desperate. I'm glad I was addicted because I needed a Savior who actually worked. And I hacked through that wilderness to find a way. And I like going, okay, come on, follow me. All right, if you've got, I've got a book here, God Loves Ugly. This is the 21-day cleanse, I like to say. This is the colonic version. This is the uh, study guide where you're like, I really want the deep internal cleansing. And then I've got Remy cards. How many of you need to remind yourself of the truth on a daily basis? You get in the word, you're like, yes, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then you walk out and your kid does something crazy and you're like, I'm going to explode all over you. And you need a reminder to remember who you really are. That's what Remy cards, remind myself who I am. All right, let's see. Who's got a birthday today? Anybody? Oh, you raised your hand. Happy birthday. Come on down. This is for you. Or your friend, somebody who's not on the end. Let's get that to her. Can you guys get that to her? All right. So I want to show you a little bit of my family. My family and I run a healing center in Abilene, Texas. I live in Nashville. I fly in every month. And we have a haven that is a place called Gold Monarch Healing Center where people come in from all over the world whose hearts have been smashed by pain and they don't know how to get back. And we've got people from... You know, just I want to be in deeper intimacy with God to like my marriage is completely destroyed and I'm addicted to pain pills. And we see the most amazing miracles happen when people come in and they actually get their hearts reconnected to the source. So this is Gold Monarch Healing Center. It's in Abilene, Texas. We got a lot of people from Houston who drive up. Yeah, Houston's good soil. I love you guys in Houston. And then I want to show you my bearded stud of a man. Look at that flesh. Look at that man flesh. I just stare at it, go weak at the knees. That is my stud hub, I call him, because he's a stud and he's my hubs, and that is just clear, right? And then I've got a, a son named Moses Gray Lionheart, and that's Moses on the plane this week to New York City. And Moses, it's funny, the other day we came out on the front yard and I said, buddy, look at the tulips. He just turned three and he goes, oh, and look, there's three lips and there's four lips. Look at all the lips. I mean, I love, I love just filtering things through the eyes of a child. It's so fun. And then it's hard for me to see. Now, short girls don't hate me because I am almost six feet tall. But I am 23 weeks pregnant with a little girl. This is my daughter. We like to travel and speak together. She kicks me. She's like, way to go, Mom. 
that was really good. <laughs> and then I have another baby girl. And I want to tell you guys a minute about Goldie, Luca Gold. Gold Monarch Healing Center is named after her. And this is my little Luca. And on March 5th, 2014, just barely over a year ago, I went into labor. Oh, tissues. And I gave birth to a little girl with a condition called anencephaly, where she didn't have the top of her brain. She didn't have her skull. And I'm a hippie. I, I didn't have a bunch of ultrasounds. I didn't know. So when she came out, it was the shock of my life. Because I'm pulling out. As a woman, I'm created in the image of my father, created a birth life, and nurture that life until it creates life. And I give life to something that doesn't work in this world. And I give birth to this baby girl that I have to watch her take her last breath. 40 minutes later, their spirit leaves this earth. And there is no greater pain than a mother could ever know. And let me tell you, I have been, my heart at that moment, the meat grinder of pain, the wrecking ball of pain came in and it just threatened to completely destroy me. These are the kind of things that destroy marriages. These are the kind of things that destroy people's hearts beyond repair, where they're in so much pain they can't recover and it dictates the course of their whole life. And so many times when we go through a trial like that, what do we do? We turn around and we put God on trial. We go, listen, I prayed every day for her. I prayed, I tithe, I serve at my church. I'm in full-time ministry. God, I prayed for my dad's cancer to be healed. I prayed for my marriage to be restored. I prayed for my child and you took them from me. And we begin to partner with the accuser and we accuse the one who came to set us free. We accuse the one who came to redeem everything that this fallen world has stolen from us. See, I have never for one second put God on trial in the death of my daughter. Not one second. And I'll tell you why. I know a secret. I know. I know John 16, 33. See, let me tell you something. When a fire, the fire of death comes, it's such a hot fire that you know all of your foundational cracks will be exposed. That is not a bad thing. See, the Lord, he uses things like that. He does not will all of them, but he will use them to expose what's really in your heart. I've told you all of this. This is Jesus. He's talking about all this hard stuff that's going to happen. I've told you all of this so that trusting me, say trusting me. Trusting me. You will be unshakable and assured. Say unshakable. unshakable. Say assured. assured. Deeply at peace. Deeply at peace. See, do you want to be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace? Yes, you're crazy if you don't want that. There is a contingency for you getting there. You can only be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace, if you have trust. And the only way that you can have full trust is if you have relationship. When you met your spouse... Did you instantly go, you look good on the outside. I'm going to give you my heart. I trust you with this. No, what'd you do? Prove it. Ask me out. Hmm. 
You're going to earn it? Yeah, come on. Let's see what you do. Are you going to open that car door? We want to know that when we give somebody something, our heart, our relationship, that we can trust them not to just pound us to bits, correct? The only way that you will ever be deeply at peace in this inheritance of peace that Father gave you. See, friend, your inheritance is never to leave the realm of peace. I don't care how hard traffic is. I don't care how many financial problems you have. I don't care how many relational situations are blowing up in your face. If you don't know how, if you get anchored in that peace, do you know that the enemy, if he can't penetrate it, he doesn't know what to do with you? See, I want to live in the realm where I am grounded in peace in every circumstance. And the only way to do that for me to be unshakable and assured is if I am in complete trust of this God. And the only way to do that is to build a relationship of intimacy, history, and trust. And we hate this next part. In this godless world, raise your hand if you live in a godless world. Yeah. In this godless world, spoiler alert, You will continue to have difficulties. Guys, stop being so shocked when a hot fire of a world throws you into the flames. Stop being so like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that wounded person wounded me. Of course they did. They need Jesus. We're so shocked when non-believers are rude in the checkout line. Well, I'm just going to tell them back. No, you're going to turn the other cheek because that's the, the opposite spirit of this world. We're in a godless world. They will continue to come at you. You have an enemy. There's an enemy who's out to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. Friend, we cannot live like we are not at war. Any good general knows I have to have a strategy and a plan for attack. I have to understand the battle that I'm in. I have to understand my enemy and I have to understand my, my, my good God. And that's the thing. Guys, theology 101, devil really, really bad. God, good. (laughs) What we do, I promise you, if you are not anchored in the goodness of God relationally, When the hot fire, the trouble of this world hits you, you will lower your theology to match your pain. You'll start making allowances for it. Well, I guess God wanted this to happen. I guess God allowed this to happen. And then all of a sudden you're like, really? Is he really good? Then all of a sudden we're offended and we're putting him on trial and we're accusing him. I am here to tell you from the bottom of my, I'm, I am a mama on a mission. You better watch out for mama bears. I am on a mission from God to educate the church on his goodness. And I am here to declare until the end of the age that my God is not a baby killer. My father My good God, he is a baby creator. He is the creator of life. And if you want to know this guy that creates life and his goodness, let's go all the way back to the garden. Let's go back to the first time that he created life. All right, so before anything was formed, we had the Trinity. 
We had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're in perfect relationship with one another. They're in intimacy. Right? Now, raise your hand if you're made in the image of God. Okay. I'm not going to get all girly. I'm not going to get feminist. I'm not going to start calling God a she. But I saw a lot of females raise their hand, which means God has a girly side. Okay? All right? And out of the relationship and the oneness and the intimacy that the Trinity had, they went, let's have kids. Right? Parents, you know what it was like. You had love with someone, you had intimacy, and you go, let's create someone in our image. Let's expand our love circle to where we can include somebody else in it. That's what the Trinity did. And what happened? Adam and Eve were created. Now, for Adam and Eve to be made as high-level order beings, they had to be created in the image of God. What is the main definition of God? God is... Love, okay? So what is the primary component of love for it to exist? Love requires mutual submission. See, for God to create mankind, to go, all right, I'm commanding you to serve me, and you're a robot, and you have to. Is that love? No, that's called dictatorship. See, that's not love. For God to make you in his image, you have to have a choice whether or not you're going to reject him. That's called free will, and he put it in the garden. Now, how did he assure that Adam and Eve were made in his image and had that choice? He put a tree in the garden. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've all read this story. Now, what happened? That tree existed, and what did the serpent do? Here comes the serpent, and the first tactic of the enemy against God was, hey, Adam, Are you sure that you can trust that he's good? Are you sure that he has your best interest? Because see, I think if he wants you, he doesn't want you to eat that tree because then you're going to become like him. What he set up for you is not good. What he set up for you is not in your best interest. Can you really trust him? Is he really good? And what did Adam and Eve do? They let that one little seed go in of deception and they let it begin to bloom in their heart, in their life. And they go, I don't know if you're good, God. That is what we do, Christians. When we get hit with something, what does the enemy do? He slithers in and he goes, are you sure that God is good? He let your family member die. Are you sure that God is good? He allowed that tragedy to happen to you. He allowed you to be abandoned. He allowed you to be raped. He allowed you to be abused. And the second that we let that go into the soil of our hearts, I promise you, you will begin to accuse God and go, I'm not sure that you're good. The enemy knew what he was doing in the garden. Now, for love to exist, it requires this mutual submission. Now, was it the will of God for Adam and Eve to eat the fruit and sin and death come on the earth? Was it? No. See, I have a son named Moses Gray, Lionheart, watch out what you name your kids, man. That kid roars constantly. It's fabulous. And um, Moses Gray Lionheart, he's really obedient. And I never had to put those little plugger things in our light sockets because my kid hates pain. How many of you like pain? No, no, absolutely not. Unless you're wounded, which let's talk after the service. Okay, so anyway, Moses hates pain, right? And so I just went, hey, buddy, if you stick anything in that light socket, or if you get close to it, I'm going to flick the back of your hand. Ooh, I don't like that. That's painful. Or the older he got, hey, if you stick something in there, pain is going to happen, possibly even death. 
So Moses is like, all right, I'm staying away from those things. Now, if when Moses turns 18 and moves out of the house, he's like, I don't know that my mom's telling the truth. I'm Moses Gray Lionheart. I'm going to stick something in that light socket if I want to. Because I'm not going to keep a playpen around my son until he's 80, he has a choice to go disobey me and put something in the light socket. And what's going to happen when he does? Pain is going to happen, right? Possibly even death. Friend, there are things that happen outside the will of God every day in your life. But because he gave you free will and because he gave you your parents free will and because they passed on their woundedness to you. See, wounded people can only wound people. There are things that happen every day outside of the will of this good God. And we blame him for it. Because we don't understand the order of how he set things up. I was at worship school uh, at Bethel in Reading Church. And I teach every year. And Bill Johnson gave a quote. And I put it on my Instagram. And everybody was just up in arms. Like, what are you saying, Krista? And Bill said, God is in charge. But God is not in control. (gasps) Guys, if you've got kids, you know this to be true. Come on. You are in charge of your house. You are not in control of your kid. Your kid can do whatever they want. You can go, listen, I'm in charge. You cannot scream. They have a will. Unless you muzzle them and tape them up and they can still be screaming on the inside. They are in control of their life because they have been given free will. God is in charge. He's not in control. Oh, Krista, are you saying that God isn't sovereign? I get people writing me. Are you questioning the sovereignty of God? See, what people say when they say, is God sovereign? What they're really wanting you to say is, God, can you please be in complete control? And it's not going to happen because free will exists. Let me tell you what the sovereignty of God really is. The sovereignty of God is wrapped up in imminence and transcendence. Big words. Let me break it down. Eminence means inside. Transcendence means outside. So we've got God. And remember, scripture says he is still expanding. He's expanding at the speed of light all over the universe. God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, big guy, big, big guy. Now, where are you in all of God? You are Horton, here's a who. You are a speck on a speck on a speck inside of God. Now, is there a part of God that exists outside of your time and space? Oh, yeah, people, big, big deal. The sovereignty of God is that he exists outside of the creation of time and space that he set up the order of. Now, could God sneeze and you would spontaneously combust? Yes, friend, yes, but he would never do it because his nature is love and the nature is love. That's what's so crazy. The nature of love is that the creator submits himself to the creation. What? Try to wrap your mind around that, that Jesus, God, the big God, when I know I'm going to put on flesh and limit myself as a human being. I'm going to be 
completely helpless. I can't lift up my head as a baby. All I do is cry and poop and pee, okay? This is Jesus, the creator of the universe, who entrusted himself to a teenager named Mary to make sure his diapers were changed, to make sure he was fed, to make sure that he slept well. To, I mean, a teenager, the God of the universe, submits himself to the creation in order to save us. Friend, that is the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that the crazy thing is sin and death comes and it pounces on our lives. And Christ goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come set up residence in the one place that has smashed their lives the most. Now, when you got, how many of you have been bullied or had someone say something to you that was absolutely wounding? Now, did that make your spleen hurt? Really? No? Oh. Did your knee get bruised? What part of you got hurt by pain? Your heart. This genius God. At the beginning of time, he knew when he set up Adam and Eve in the garden, it will not be my will that they eat of the fruit. But I know that they're going to do it. And I know what sin and death are going to do on the earth. I know what it's going to do to their heart. And I have a plan. And I'm going to come as a man wrapped in flesh. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to go to hell and pay for every single thing that they deserve. And then I'm going to raise up again. I'm going to be seated in heavenly places. And I'm going to send my spirit. And when they say yes to me, I'm going to come live inside of the brokenness of their heart. This idea that you can ever be separated from the love of God is a joke, friends. It's the worst theology we have in Western Christianity. That, oh, we come into church and we're singing and God's not here. The presence of God isn't here because it's just the announcements and those are really unspiritual. So let's get the praise and worship going. And about by the third song, this God is like, oh, they sound great in the woodland. I'm going to flip down and grace them with my presence. Hogwash. Scripture says, you are the temple, Corinthians 3.16, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and his spirit lives in you. Then Christ said, I'm going to come and go meditate on John 14.20 for a, a while. He's like, Jesus is like, I am in you, and you in me, and God is in me. I mean, it's so tangled up with God on the inside of your pain and dysfunction. You can't ever be separated from his love. The presence of God is on you. This is what this genius God does. You want to know the will of God for your life. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to know the will. And see, this is the thing, Christians. The Trinity, we have them so separated and segregated. Jesus is okay. We trust him. We really like him. He's safe. Okay. He's the redeemer. He's, yeah, you're the healer. Cool. And then we have father over here, right? How many of you have, we worship you father. You can only come to him with your heels on and a suit and a tie, right? He's very stern. The fear of God. We've got Jesus and then the Holy Spirit's over here and weird stepchild that's like, I don't know, are you going to make me do weird things? Okay. We have this idea of the Trinity. And friend, in our minds, in our Western culture, a lot of times our theology 
We've got Jesus coming to save us from things that God wills. So we're praying the whole time somebody has cancer. God, heal them. Jesus, heal them. Let's heal them. I believe you said in Matthew 8, 10, 8, that you've come to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and cast out demons. Oh, but they died. So it must have been God's will. Right? Last time I checked, my Bible said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If you want to know the will of God for your life, look at the sun. What does scripture say? It's always good when scripture backs up my message. John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. It's talking about the Son. John 8.19 through 20. They said, where is this so-called Father of yours? They're talking to Jesus. Jesus said, you're looking right at me and you don't see me. How do you expect to see the Father? If you knew me, you would at the same time know the Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven. if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know the will of God for your life, you better look at the Son. You want to know the will of God for your disease, you better look at what the Son did and he healed all. You want to know the will of God for your depression, you better look at what Jesus came to abolish on the earth, to cast out demons, to cast out depression. You want to know the will of God for your life. It's that you are standing in wholeness before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, letting heaven invade you on the inside so that it begins flowing out of you on the outside. The will of God is wrapped up in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Jesus is teaching you how to pray. And he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your what? Your will be done. Where? Where? On earth. Where? As it is where? In heaven. Friend, you better learn about heaven. You better learn that you're seated there right now. Ephesians 2 says, you have been seated in heavenly places. That's not talking about when you die. That's talking about right this very second. My spirit, the truest form of who you are, is seated in heavenly places. You do not get the luxury of fighting towards heaven. You fight from victory. See, when I started going, Father, teach me inside of my heart. I'm dictated by the pain of a fallen world. It smashed me to bits. But I need to see myself and see you and see earth from your perspective. I started closing my eyes and going, show me. I'm going to read Revelation 4. I'm going to see the throne room. See, friend, how are you supposed to approach the throne of God boldly and confidently if you don't have access to it? You are there. You get to experience the Father. You get to experience who he is. And what did he come to do as the son? With the father with skin on, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He cast out demons. The will of God is for this kingdom of heaven to be manifesting in your life. And the world cannot say no to this Jesus. 
See, I don't have to preach. Are you kidding me? I can't shut up about this guy that has done something for me that's transformed my life. I live my life for encounters with this man, the living word. I read his scriptures. I let it go deep. I want to have an experience, an encounter with you to where it just overflows and seeps out on people. My pain used to seep out on people. My judgment, I was in constant judgment of myself. My judgment towards people. The church doesn't want, the world doesn't want what we have because we're in so much judgment of ourselves that we're judging them. We're in so much criticism of ourselves, of shame of ourselves, that we're giving that same thing to them. Friend, the will of God for your life is for intimacy and oneness to happen to where life blooms in every area of who you are. The creator of life, not the killer, not the destroyer, the creator of life will take everything that the world has smashed over you and he will redeem it and he will restore it and he will make all things new. Everybody always wants to go to Job, Job. Yeah, but what about Job? And it's their justification that God is terrible. I'm like, look at the end of Job. Look at the end of Job where God goes, yes, it's my turn. And I'm going to get in there and I'm going to redeem everything sevenfold. You better believe I stand in front of the courts of heaven. And I go, awesome. Friends, this has changed my life. You need to know this. Know your storm, okay? Know your storm. There are storms that come at you that are from the enemy. And there are storms that come at you from God as discipline. Bill Johnson said this last week, brilliant. He said, all of God's disciplines are so that we can survive his blessings. When God sees an area of your heart that needs to change, he's like, okay, I see that they have insecurity in their hearts. I'm going to put them next to this person that brings out all their insecurities. It's great. And it's going to come to the surface. And what we usually do is start flogging ourselves and like rebuking it. No, you go, great, here comes my anger. I'm going to dump it on you, God. And I'm going to receive your healing in that area. See, there are storms that come from Father to make you out of love. I discipline my son. I flick his hand when he gets near the, when he used to get near the light socket. Not because I'm like, I hate you and I want to beat you for being disobedient, but because I love him and I don't want him to get hurt. The disciplines of God are rooted in love, but there are absolute storms that come against your life that are absolutely against the will of God to kill you and steal from you and destroy you. Know your storm, every storm, every trial that comes at me. I go, okay, Father, is this from you to make me better? If he says, yeah, I go, awesome. Throwing my arms around the pain, embracing the suffering. I'm going to learn everything I can from this terrible hot fire so that you can get everything out of me that you want to get out of me so that I never have to go through it again. See, some of you are in cycles of going through the same thing. And you're going, why is this happening? Because you haven't learned everything that you need to learn in the midst of that relational situation. And you're going to keep going through it until you learn what you need to learn to become better. But there are absolute storms from the enemy. I go, Father, is this coming from the enemy? And when he says yes, then I get to go to my word. I get to learn about Ephesians. I learn about Ephesians 6. I learn what it means to be a warrior. I learn what it means to stand in my authority and push back the enemy. Jesus got in the boat and he rebuked the wind and the waves because there was something in that storm that was not of God. 
When you learn, and, and I'm telling you, you will only have authority over the storms that you know how to sleep through. When you learn to be in intimacy with God and the storm's coming at you and the enemy's coming and you rebuke the wind and the waves, it must bow its knee to the Father. But when it doesn't, see, the thing is, I know it was not the will of my father for my baby girl to die. How do I know that? Because I know if my Jesus had been standing in the flesh in front of me and he put his hands on my womb, I guarantee you she would have come out whole. I know the will of my father. It's for life to be replicated. And when those storms come at me, and when I have been stolen from and robbed and killed and destroyed, I go to the end of Job and I go before the courts of heaven and I go, Father, I have been robbed. I have been robbed and stolen from and the enemy has tried to kill me. And your word promises me that you have to go to the enemy and go repay her sevenfold. I can't be robbed. I can't be robbed. Friend, anything that comes against you, it's either to make you better or if the enemy gets to smash you, then you can go in the courts of heaven and go, okay, Father, I want my inheritance back. I want it to be repaid. You cannot lose in this kingdom. He has set it up too good for you as a citizen of heaven. Now, the problem I have with a lot of people, they say, now, God, did you, God approved, he, he allowed this to happen. And what I don't like about that terminology, God allowed this to happen, is what they're saying so many times is God wanted this to happen, right? I had a lady, she sent me when you're, you know, you have a death and you are in the public eye. People send you all their stories. And there was this lady and she was in Arkansas and she had lost her She'd lost her sons. They had been ripped out of her arms in a tornado and brutally killed. And she is searching for some goodness of God. She was a Christian. She's going, I'm searching for your goodness in this. And it broke my heart. She said, I know that God allowed my sons to die because people got saved at their funeral. And I think, what kind of God? See, the thing is, if I had two sons and I knew that this one would get saved if I killed this one and I killed this son because of it, do you realize I would be put into prison and should be? We have God's fathering nature on par with the criminally insane. You cannot know the will of God without knowing the nature of God. And his nature is redemption. And his nature is restoration. And his nature is love. And his nature is joy. And his nature is everything that the world has taken from you. He's going to embed himself in the middle of it and rise up to overcoming in every area of your life. That is our good God, friend. We've got to learn to be reconciled with him. Now, did God allow my baby to die? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But the question is not why he allowed her to die. It's when did he allow her to die. And the when, God allowed my baby girl to die when he made Adam and Eve. And he loved them enough to give them free will. And he put that tree in the garden and they made a choice that released sin and death and disease on the earth. Did God allow me to be sexually abused as a young girl? Yeah, he did. 
Not why, but when. When he gave that boy a choice to take from me, what was it his to take? Did God allow me to be raped at the age of 16? Yeah, he did. Not why, God, but when. When he gave that boy a choice to take what wasn't his to take. But my father goes in the midst of my heart with all the pain and all the wounds and all the smashing. And he goes, I'm so sorry. I died so that this didn't have to happen. And I'm so sorry that it did. Let me weep with you. Let me give you a comforter. Let me give you a healer. Let me give you a restorer. That is our good God. Last year, my husband and I were having a lot of marriage problems. Oh, you're in full-time ministry, really? Yeah, people. We moved from Los Angeles to Texas, and we needed some heart ministry. And one of the things my mom does, she's a counselor, but she does this thing called heart sync, and it just gets your heart led by the Holy Spirit into the place where it can be healed. So I'm with my mom one day, and I'm in this encounter, and I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking into his face, and I'm just fully alive with him. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the reason why I'm alive. You're so good. And his eyes were just filled with kindness. I just couldn't look away. There was no condemnation for me. And then all of a sudden, out of the ground, rose this huge wall of black smoke. And it was as far as I could see. Now, I'm the girl that travels around the world and preaches no separation. So I'm like, wait a second, Jesus. How are you on the other side of this wall? The more that I start looking at the wall, the more bitter I am. I am mad. I am offended at him. I am angry at him. I am disappointed. He promised me that this was going to happen, and this was going to happen, and this was going to happen, and it hasn't happened yet. Oh, so you got promises. Are they more like suggestions, Jesus? Like, come on, when are you going to come through? Redeemer, faithful, what a joke. And I'm telling him what my heart is really feeling. Christians, we have got to stop the pretense. We have to stop going, God is good all the time, all the time. No, you don't believe it. You still are angry at him for what happened to your past. You still are angry for your betrayal, from your wound, from what was stolen from you. You can never have intimacy with someone that you will not be honest with. And I'm telling him, I'm mad at you. And I hear him and he said, Krista, he starts telling me who he is. He starts telling me what his will is. That all, a lot of those things that happened, they had nothing to do with him. And he said, Krista, I told you, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. But I didn't ever intend you to guard it from me. That's what we do, Christians. When we don't understand the goodness of God. When we don't understand the will of God, when we don't understand the nature of God, we put him on the other side of the fence and we go, you are not allowed past my bitterness towards you. See, you will never be able to love God with your whole heart as long as parts of your heart feel completely betrayed by him. I said, Jesus, how do you get back in here with me? He goes, well, just ask. I said, get your butt in here, Jesus. He walks through the wall, and as he does, the whole thing turns to the most beautiful black diamonds I've ever seen. 
And then he looks at me. He's got this like, ha, watch this. And he touches the wall. And out of the wall comes all these beautiful white diamonds. And they bend over me. And I am completely enclosed in the most beautiful diamond cave that I've ever seen in my life. And he puts a bed in the ground. And he looks at me and he goes, this is where we're going to hang out. You are going to learn to guard your intimacy with me at all cost above all. So I start hanging out with Jesus in my diamond cave. I'm waking up in the night. I'm pregnant. So she kicks the bladder up and down. You know what that's like, ladies. I can't go back to sleep. I'm like, I'll go hang out with Jesus. And we're like playing patty cake. I'm like, really? You don't want to like intercede for the nations and the lost? And the... No, he just, guys, he just wants to be with you, okay? He wants to be your friend. He wants to be invited into every area of your life. Then on February 14th, we went to go visit some friends and the Lord woke our friends, my best friend's husband up and said, go buy Krista a diamond. He said, don't you mean my wife, Katie? No, you can buy her one too, but go buy Krista a diamond. I'm like, I bear witness with that. Absolutely. <laughs> so on February 14th, on the day of love, I was presented with my diamond cave. And if you could see this necklace, he did not know this. And it is a perfect circle of black diamonds with perfect white diamonds in the center. And the Lord knew that just three weeks later, I was going to give birth to a little girl who died in my arms. And I hand her body off to my husband, and he, he slams against the wall, and he just slides down it in pain. And I'm watching my husband hold his lifeless daughter. I know that these are the kind of moments that define the rest of your life. I knew that I had a choice to make in this moment. And if I didn't make the right one, I would be so destroyed by pain that it would destroy all of my relationships. It would destroy my future children. It would destroy my marriage. It would destroy who I am. And I made a decision. And I'm a songwriter. I write a lot of songs for the church. And... I write songs because they're biblical, but sometimes I haven't lived them. And I remember I closed my eyes, and I reached up around my neck. I put my hand around my diamond cave, and I locked us all in. And I said, in death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. And I've never left my cave. I can't leave it. Because if I leave my cave, I leave the comforter. If I leave my cave, I leave the healer. If I leave my cave, I leave the one who's come to put me back together. And I have every right to have every emotion in that place with the Trinity. Do you know, friend, it's okay for you to be angry as long as you're angry with Jesus. It's okay for you to be disappointed as long as you bring him into it. And I would lay there. And I would go, Jesus, I am so angry. I'm so angry that she's gone. And he would come up in front of me. And he'd go, you need something to punch. Punch me. I can take it. And I'd punch Jesus. I'd wear myself out just punching him. And I'd collapse into his arms and we'd fall on the ground. And he would hold me. 
and he'd look into my eyes. And the thing that healed me the most was he was consumed with as much anger toward my daughter's death as I was. And he'd roll up his sleeves and he'd show me the holes. And he'd show me, he'd put my hand in his side. And he'd go, who do you think is more angry about this than me, the one who suffered, who bled, who died so that it wasn't supposed to happen? You have the right, Christian, to have every emotion as long as it is linked in with the son, as long as it is linked in with the healer, with the helper, with the comforter. And every day since then, I have let this man and this father and this empowering spirit put the pieces of my heart back together where I am actually thriving in the midst of the worst pain of my life. Because happiness is circumstantial, and I will never be happy that she's gone. But joy is relational, and I never leave relationship. Close your eyes. This means nothing if you don't have an encounter with this love. I want you to reach up and put your hand on your heart. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit who shines in all truth. Ask him. Is there parts of my heart where I'm still so bitter at you? Where I've put you on trial? Where I've blamed you and I've said, why, why, why? Because I haven't understand who you are and what you came to do. And if he shows you those places, friend, and you are ready to get the solution for all of your problems into the place of your deepest pain, I want you out loud as a confession to simply say, yes. Friend, I did not hear enough yeses. Right now on the count of three, if you want the healer into this pain, I want you to say yes. One, two, three. Yes. yes. Jesus, by the power of your blood, by the declaration of your mouth, of your mission, that you have come to bind up the broken hearts so that freedom can pour out. I declare that every heart, every place, every barren, broken place has access to the solution, has access to the redeemer, has access to the restorer, has access to the healer. Teach them in the days and weeks to come how to bring their broken heart before you and let you into every emotion. Teach them in the days and weeks to come how never to leave this place of intimacy that you have created. We love you, Jesus. We love what you do in your precious and holy name. And every heart in this room says, amen.